0: Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Power. Show. today is Wednesday, May 11th, 2020. and we're not in Alaska, we're not in Nigeria. What we are here is broadcasting live from Atlanta, at least I am live in Atlanta, Georgia, and we are going to explore the Torah portion of the week. Specifically, we're going to cover today readings four and five. All right, I'm going to share my screen. Let's jump in. And immediately we see the shluchim to Lagos, Nigeria, because we were schmoozing about them. But let's get back to the Torah reading. All right, again, Torah portion this week is MR reading five, Leviticus chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-three. Yes, it's twenty-three twenty-three. Allah, Michael Jordan, joking. Twenty-three twenty-three, and this is the Torah's conversation about the holidays. We're going to go through all of the biblical holidays here and. They're required. Hold on. I was gonna say sacrifices, but I don't know if those are detailed here. Mm, not yet. All right. We're gonna go through the holidays here. Let's jump in. And the Lord and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Oh, up until now, as you as you know, we've been exploring commandments that are related to the priests, the Kohanim. Whether it's regard to personal sanctity or who they can marry, or the gifts to the Kohanim that they have to eat in a state of purity. Yesterday we talked about." If they're entering the temple or doing the service or eating of the sacrifices, sacrificial meat, while in a state of impurity, it's not good. Anyway, the commandments were primarily focused on the priests. This is a These are commandments now to the entire nation because God tells Moses, speak to the children of Israel, not to Aaron and, and the children of Israel, but to the children of Israel. And so we know it's a universal command, saying the following, in the seventh month, on the first of the month, it shall be a Sabbath for you. A remembrance of Israel through the Shofar Blast. A holy occasion. We have a lot of clues as to what this holiday is. First of all, when is it? Seventh month, first day. That's Tishrei 1, the first day of Tishrei. It shall be a Sabbath for you. That means that it's a day of rest. Don't do work on that day. Remembrance of Israel. Okay. Okay. God is going to remember us through the shofar blast. That should give a pretty good indication of what we're talking about. And of course, it's a holy occasion. It's It's a holiday. When we put all the pieces together, we know that the Torah is talking about Rosh Hashanah. This is the Torah's way of talking about Rosh Hashanah. You shall not perform any work of labor, and you shall offer up a fire offering to the Lord. And here we get a clue as to what shall be done. There is a special fire offering. That is brought on the holiday in commemoration of the holiday. So that's Rosh Hashanah. Let's continue. Um, I want to mention one other thing. The Torah uses the phrase zichron trua," A remembrance of the shofar. I, I know there's brackets here. The brackets massage the meaning of the verse. A remembrance of Israel through the shofar blast. But the literal words refer to this holiday as a remembrance of shofar, which means it's a a day that you remember the shofar, but not necessarily sound the shofar. What does that mean? Don't we sound the shofar in Rosh Hashanah? The sages of the Talmud explain that there is a scenario where you do not blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah, but you remember the shofar. When the first day in the diaspora, when the first day of Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbat, you do not blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, it's only the first day that can fall out on Shabbat. The second day cannot fall out on Shabbat. When the first day of Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, on Shabbat, you do not blow the shofar, for a technical reason, because it could be that somebody is unfamiliar with how to sound the shofar, and they might want to take the shofar their chauffeur to the rabbi's house to ask for guidance and how to do it. And meanwhile you're carrying an item from public domain to private domain or carrying something within a public domain more than four cubits, i.e. six feet. And that could be problematic on Shabbat. Therefore we say, you know what? Don't blow the chauffeur. Don't blow the chauffeur on Shabbat. And that is the way the law is to this day. At least in the diaspora, we do not blow the chauffeur. I mean the only exception would be not only in Israel, but in like Walled cities or temple cities, or it's by and large we do not blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah when it falls out on Shabbat, and so this is alluded to. It's not clearly taught, but it's alluded to in the verse, the biblical verse that calls Rosh Hashanah a day of zikron shrua, a remembrance of the remembrance of the shofar. It's not a day always of shofar. Some day, sometimes some. Set up, in some years, you're going to remember the shofar because you're not going to sound it. Now, again, we have two days of Rosh Hashanah, so we can do it the second day. But the first day, it's possible not to blow the shofar. Hope that makes sense. All right, back inside. Let's talk about Yom Kippur. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, next holiday. But on the 10th of the 7th month, it is a day of atonement. There you go. Day of atonement. It shall be a holy occasion for you. Once again, it's a holiday. You shall afflict yourselves. We had that before. You shall afflict yourselves. No, it doesn't mean um, walking on hot coals or something. Afflict yourselves means fasting and the other forms of deprivation that we do on Yom Kippur. You shall afflict yourselves and you shall offer up a fire offering to the Lord, special offering for Yom Kippur. You shall not perform any work on that very day. No work on Yom Kippur. For it is a day of atonement. For you to gain atonement before the Lord your God. If you're working, you're not going to be focusing on the theme. The theme is atonement. No work, no distractions, no eating, no drinking, all locked in with God. For any person who will not be afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from its people. In other words, this is a very important day in Judaism and on the Jewish calendar. For Jews, etc. And any person who performs any work on that very day, I will destroy that person from amidst its people. Clearly, God is not happy with Yom Kippur not being treated like Yom Kippur. You shall not perform any work. This is on Yom Kippur. This is an eternal statute. Throughout your generations and all your dwelling places, it is a complete day of rest for you. In fact, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say that exactly. It says Shabbat Shabbaton. It's a double expression of Shabbat. It's a Sabbath of Sabbaths. So the translation is complete day of rest. But in the Hebrew, it's a repetitive language. Shabbat, Shabbaton. It's a Sabbath of Sabbaths for you. And you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth of the month in the evening, from evening to evening, you shall observe your rest day. When does Yom Kippur begin? The the night. The evening of the ninth. Yom Kippur is the 10th of the month, but it begins, the fast begins, Yom Kippur begins a little bit before nightfall. It begins in the evening of the 9th and it ends after nightfall on the 10th. So it's about a 25 hour, 25, 26 hour fast. Not exactly 26 hours, between 25 and 26 hours, because you take a little bit, you take it in a little bit early and you take it out a little bit late. Okay, let's do Rashi. A remembrance of Israel through the shofar blast. Rashi says, On this Rosh Hashanah day, a remembrance before God of the Jewish people is evoked. The simple meaning. I gave you this, the illusion, the, the hint. Zikron true, and not always will you sound the shofar, because sometimes on, when it falls out on Shabbos, you won't. So then you'll have to remember the shofar. You won't actually be listening to it. You'll think about it. Rashi gives you the simple meaning. Simple meaning is, what's the remembrance? Remembrance of the Jewish people before God. God remembers us when we sound the shofar. When we blow the shofar, God says, ah, I like you guys. And in order to enhance this remembrance, our our rabbis instituted the recitation of scriptural verses dealing with remembrance and scriptural verses dealing with the blowing of the shofar. Through which the remembrance of the binding of Isaac is recalled for them, whereby Isaac was willing to be sacrificed as a burnt offering according to God's words, and in whose stead a ram was offered up. Whereby the shofar alludes to that ram's horns by which it was caught in a tree, thus making its appearance. And thus making its appearance as Isaac's replacement. That's a long sentence, right? That is one sentence here in the translation, and in the Hebrew, there you go. There's a lot of uh, additional. Were a verbiage in the, in the English, I want to clarify what's going on. On Rosh Hashanah, we call it a Yom Hazikaron. It's a day of remembrance. It's also a day of shofar sounding. And so, on Rosh Hashanah, in the prayer service, in the Mus'af, the afternoon, Rosh Hashanah afternoon prayer service, we actually read verses. It's part of the liturgy, part of the Amidah. We read verses that speak to the theme of God remembering us. For the good, God recalling the patriarchs, God recalling the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac when they thought that God wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. So we talk about that and we talk about how that that memory should put us in good stead as we stand on the day of judgment. God remember us for good. And then we talk about the shofar. How did the shofar come about? Well, when Abraham was going to offer Isaac and God said no, Abraham sees a ram and he offers the ram instead of Isaac. We use a ram's horn for a shofar. And the goal is to remind God of Abraham's dedication, Isaac's self-sacrifice, in order to stand their children, again, in good stead. So we sound the shofar and we talk about the shofar, again, to evoke Positive memories. It's kind of like looking through a photo album. Remember those great times? Remember, uh, you know, that vacation? Remember, you know, that, that happy occasion? Okay. Let's get back inside. That's what it means a day of remembrance of the blowing of the shofar. On a simple level. You shall not perform any work of labor and you shall offer up a fire offering to the Lord. Rashi clarifies what's the fi- what fire offering. How come we're not being told what it is? So, we are told but later on in Numbers. The additional offerings stated in the book of Numbers, that's what being referred to here. The additional Musaf offerings for Rosh Hashanah and all the holidays are, just, are, are related in Numbers chapter 29. Here we're just getting a general overview of the holidays. But, Yom Kippur is introduced with the word but. Very awkward. But on the 10th, of the seventh month, why but? In the Hebrew, it's ach. It's like however, or only, it's like a limitation. So Rashi says, wherever the word ach, but, or rak, only appears in the Torah, they denote an exclusion. What's the meaning here? What's the exclusion of Yom Kippur? Thus Yom Kippur atones for those who repent, but, but, right, but, but, it does not atone for those who do not repent. Yom Kippur is not necessarily a magic formula where you don't have to show up and everything's fine. Yom Kippur is a day of atonement, but you have to show up. You got to do something. Some measure of self-reflection, some measure of commitment to turn over a new leaf is required on, on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is not like, it's not autopilot, right? It's not like the day shows up, we're atoned. We, that's it. We, we got to show up and do our part to be part of that process of atonement. Hence the word, but. In other words, Yom Kippur, however, you got to work for it. or At least do something for it. Um, You shall not perform any work on Yom Kippur. Rashi asks, and I was one, you know, the same question that I had, which is, it's already been stated above in verses 28 and 30 for Yom Kippur, it says it multiple times, right? Shall not perform any work. Anyone who performs any work is in trouble. You shall not perform any work. I mean, how many times you got it? Okay, got it. No work on Yom Kippur. So Rashi explains, yes, true, it's repeated, but nevertheless, this prohibition is repeated several times here so that one who disobeys and transgresses, so that one who disobeys, ends up transgressing many negative commandments or... So that's one, is that if, you do, that if somebody does work, then they're, then they're violating multiple infractions because it's been stated like three times. Or alternatively, to warn against work at night that it is forbidden justice performing work during the day of the 10th of Tishrei. So working on the night, like the 9th going into the 10th at night, or working the next day or the equivalent, they're both not supposed to be done on Yom Kippur. Okay. So that is reading number five. And I'm asking myself the question now, why did I jump to reading number five when I believe we were up to reading number four? This is a little bit awkward, not gonna lie. I started, we started with the second reading first. I must've been clicking around the wrong reading. Today is Wednesday, so we should've started with reading four. So now it's gonna be TBT Wednesday, Turn Back Time Wednesday. For the very first time in DPP history, we are going to go in reverse order on our readings. It happens. It's happening now. But it's all good. It's all good. We're going to go back to reading four, where, and it should have been a red flag that we're starting from Rosh Hashanah, but where the the topic of the holidays is introduced, and then we'll know already how it ends. We know the ending of the story. It ends, I mean, it doesn't end, but we got up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But how does it begin? Leviticus chapter 23, verse number 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, it's a very similar beginning. Maybe when I was clicking around, it just speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the Lord's appointed holy days that you shall designate as holy occasions. These are my appointed holy days. In other words, I'm about to share with you, God says to Moses to tell the people, I'm about to share with you my holidays that you should observe, that you should designate. Right, These are God's appointed days that you shall designate as holy occasions. In other words, God's saying, it's my holiday, I want you in on it. I want you to be part of this. These are special days for me, I want these to be special days for you. These are my appointed times with a colon. In other words, here's the list. And we begin with Shabbat, our weekly holiday. You might think that the Torah is going to segue into like the major holidays, the annual holidays. Not so fast. For six days, work may be performed. But on the seventh day, it is a complete rest day, a holy occasion. You shall not perform any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. This is talking about Shabbat. Shabbat, Shabbaton. Shabbat, Hila Shem. Multiple times it refers to it as Shabbat or the Sabbath or Shabbos as Ashkenazic Jews like to say. Shabbos. Right? This is Shabbat. Shabbos. No work should be done. It comes every seventh day. The question is asked, if we're talking about holidays, why mention Shabbat? And I already answered it, sort of. The answer is because Shabbat is a holiday. Yes, it comes around a little bit more frequently. It comes around 52 times as opposed to once a year. Nonetheless, it's a holiday. And it's also reminding us, I think, to me, of the special gift that we have every single week. You know, everyone loves a holiday. You look forward to it. You have it on the calendar. It's like, oh, I get to take off time from work. It's going to be so much fun. We'll go somewhere. It's like, oh, it's, all, it's, a, it's, it's a holiday, an annual holiday. It's a very special thing. And by, by framing Shabbat as a holiday, perhaps the message is, the reminder for us is to treasure our weekly sabbatical, as it were, our weekly holiday, like we treasure the annual holidays. Don't just treasure the once-a-year thing, treasure the once-a-week opportunity to rest, relax, reconnect, and rejuvenate. All right, back inside. Then the Torah resets the conversation. These are the Lord's appointed holidays, holy occasions, which you should designate in their appointed time. Now on to the annual holidays. In the first month, you see, we're not starting with the seventh month. In the first month, on the 14th of the month, in the afternoon, that's the 14th of Nisan. You shall sacrifice the Passover offering to the Lord. That's when you bring the carbon Pesach, the Paschal Lamb. And on the 15th day of that month, which begins that night, it's the festival of unleavened cakes to the Lord. We call that Chag HaMatzot, the festival of matzah. You shall eat unleavened cakes for a seven-day period. Menashevitz loves hearing this, right? You shall eat unleavened cakes, eat matzah for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a holy occasion for you. You shall not perform any work of labor. No work on day one of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Sorry, of Pesach, Passover. And you shall bring a fire offering to the Lord for a seven-day period. On the seventh day, there shall be a holy occasion. You shall not perform any work of labor. So day one of Pesach and day seven of Pesach are the non-work days. The five days in between are known as Chol Hamoed, days in which work, at least some work is permitted. So day one and day seven are the forbidden days of Pesach holiday, uh, of work. The middle days are days of um, permission of work. So that's Passover. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, let's continue in 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 the year, in the cycle of the year. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come to the land which I am giving you, and you reap its harvest. You'll be in Israel. So not yet. Don't, no need to do this once yet. But when you go into Israel, and you'll have a farm, and you'll plant, and then you reap the harvest. You shall bring to the Kohen an omer of the beginning of your reaping. The first grains that grow, an omer is a, an amount of, of, of food, like a volume. You bring an omer of the, of the harvest, of the reaping, to the Kohen. And he shall wave the Omer. Yeah, that means literally move, move it around before the Lord, in other words, in the temple, in the Mishkah, so that it will be acceptable for you. The Kohen shall wave it on the day after the rest day. What that means is the day following the first day of Passover is when the Omer offering is brought. So again, Passover, at least in Israel is a seven-day holiday. Day one and seven are the non-work days or the prohibited work days. So this would be day two or night two of Passover is when, or day two, is when you bring the Omer offering. And on the day of the way of your waving the Omer, when you bring that Omer offering, that first reaping to the Kohen, you shall offer up an unblemished lamb. And its first year is a burnt offering to the Lord. Bring a burnt offering. Its meal offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. A fire offering to the Lord is a spirit of satisfaction. And its libation, don't forget the wine. Its libation shall be a quarter of a hin of wine. You shall not eat bread or flour made from parched grain or fresh grain until this very day. Until you bring your God's sacrifice. This so you cannot eat from your harvest until you bring the Omer offering. This is an eternal statue throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. And you shall... Okay, so let's pause here for a moment. So what we've talked about so far is Pesach, Passover, and the bringing of the Omer offering on day number two of Passover. But in addition to bringing the Omer, you count, you, make, you start counting the days from the Omer, from the Omer offering. That's verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the morrow of the rest day, that means from the first day of Pesach, from the day after the first day, from the day you bring the Omer as a wave offering. You shall count seven weeks. They shall be complete. You shall count until the day after the seventh week, namely the fiftieth day, on which you shall bring a new meal offering to the Lord. So you bring the Omer offering, on the day after, the first day of Pesach, so day two of Pesach, you bring the Omer offering, and then you count. That day is day one. I know it's the second day of Passover, but for the Omer purposes, it's day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, etc. You keep on counting. Until you count seven weeks, which are 49 days. And then the day after, the day after is the time to bring a new meal offering to the Lord, right? On the 50th day, you bring a new meal offering to the Lord. Now, what happens on that 50th day? It's another holiday, which the Torah will tell us about soon. What's the holiday? It's the holiday of Shavuot. Shavuot comes exactly 50 days. Oh, sorry, it's the 50th day after the second day of Passover. So, Passover, day one, is the 15th of Nisan, as we saw before. The next day is when you bring the Omer offering. Then you start counting on that day, 49 days. After you count 49 days, the next night or the next day is the next holiday. From your dwelling places, you shall bring bread on Shavuot. Set aside two loaves made from two tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour and they shall be baked, leavened. Chametz. Chametz. Tefana. The first offering to the Lord. And associate with the bread, you shall bring seven unblemished lambs in their first year, one young bull and two rams. These shall be a burnt offering to the Lord along with their meal offering and libations, a fire offering with a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. This is what's brought on the holiday of Shavuot. And you shall offer up one he-goat as a sin offering and two lambs in their first year as a peace offering. Don't know what that is, but that seems to be an erroneous line. And the Kohen shall wave them in conjunction with the first offering bread as a waving before the Lord. Moves it around. Along with the two lambs. That's a heavy lift. They shall be holy to the Lord and belong to the Kohen. And you shall designate on this very day. That's day 50 from the Omer Omer offering, day 50. You shall designate this day a holy occasion. It shall be for you. You shall not perform any work of labor. This is an eternal statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And I need to tell you what's going on right now. Today is day 25 of the Omer. Today is the 25th day since we started counting the Omer. We don't have a temple. We didn't bring the Omer offering on day 2 of Passover. But still count. Theoretically, right? We can count like... If the Omer was to be brought, well, that's day one. Or this is day one, this is day two, this is day three. Today is day 25 of the Omer, of the Omer count. On day 50, that's Shavuot. That's the next holiday. The anniversary of the giving of the Torah at Sinai, which is not specified here, by the way. We know that, but it's not mentioned here. What's mentioned here is a holiday, animal sacrifices, bread, chametz uh, bread, leavened bread, um, wine libations, no work. Holy occasion. Okay, let's get back inside. So we've talked about, let's just, let's just kind of recap. We've so far talked about a few major holidays. We started, well, we started off with Shabbos. Shabbos kind of interject was interjected, you know. Let's talk about the holidays, but first a message from Shabbos. Don't forget about me. So we have Shabbos. Then we got to the annual holidays. We talked about Passover. We talked about the Omer offering. Okay? We talked about the... Bring the coin and Omer. Right? Then we talked about the counting of the Omer. And day 50, which is a holiday where you bring a new meal offering and there's all this other stuff, all these, other, all these animals that are brought. And it's a holiday. That is Shavuot. We talked about Passover, the Omer, the counting of the Omer, and Shavuot. We know what tomorrow is going to talk about, right? Tomorrow we'll we'll be talking about Rosh Hashanah. Well, sorry, not tomorrow. The next reading, we'll be talking about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We already did that. We we preempted that. There's still one holiday that, that follows, and that is Sukkot, which we haven't covered, which we'll cover on Friday. But now I want to get to the last verse of this reading. Verse 22. Remember, we did did Passover, Omer, counting of the Omer, Shavuot. The next is going to start with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But here's one verse in between those two. When you reap the harvest of your land. Now it's a mitzvah to farmers. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not completely remove the corner of your field during your harvesting. Don't reap. Don't take away. Don't bring in the corner of your field. And you shall not gather up the gleanings of your harvest. If you leave something there, don't, don't go back and get it. Or if it drops, don't pick it up. Rather, you shall leave these for the poor person and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Interesting. We suddenly get, in the middle of a holiday conversation, suddenly the Torah talks about the agricultural mitzvot of leaving parts of your field for the poor. Okay? Interesting. By the way, this will be the subject of tonight's Torah Studies class. Verse 22. That seems to come in the middle of nowhere. It seems to be completely out of context. Talk about holidays. Pesach, the Omer, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. Verse 22. If you have a farm, when you reap the harvest, leave a corner, leave it for the poor. It's a holiday? It's a mitzvah? Why, why you. Tonight we're going to be exploring that. Let's go back and do Rashi's. Okay, I hope that makes sense what I just said. Um, speak to the children of Israel the Lord's appointed holy days. Designate the times of the festivals so that all of Israel will become accustomed to them, meaning that they should proclaim leap years. For the Jews in the diaspora who had uprooted themselves from their place to ascend to Jerusalem for the festivals, but who had not yet arrived in Jerusalem, the leap year would enable them to arrive in time. Consequently, in ensuing years, they would not lose hope of arriving on time and would be encouraged to make the pilgrimage. In other words, there's a mechanism in Jewish law and practice to work with a calendar and to make it feasible for everybody to travel in to Jerusalem to spend the holiday in and around the Holy Temple. Let's continue for six days. Rashi asked the question that I asked before, why does the Sabbath, designated by God, appear here amidst the festivals designated by the Sanhedrin, the high court? Why are we mentioning Shabbat in a conversation about the holidays, the festivals? Rashi answers to teach you that whoever desecrates the festivals is considered to have transgressed as severely as if he had desecrated the Sabbath. And that whoever fulfills the festivals is considered as if he fulfilled the Sabbath, and his reward is great. We know Shabbat cracks the top ten commandments. Shabbat is in the the Ten Commandments. And now we're learning that it's not just Shabbat that's special. The holidays are also special. They're on the level of Shabbat. In the afternoon of the 14th is when the, the, the carbon Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, is brought. Rashi explains between the two evenings, which means from six halachic hours after dawn and onwards until evening. So essentially, from afternoon, the whole afternoon is when you can bring, from midday until evening, until nightfall, that's when you can bring the Paschal Lamb. You got a window of about six six hours. Um, Okay. You shall bring a fire off into the Lord in any case. If there are no bulls, bring rams. If there are neither rams nor bulls, bring lambs. Okay. So it seems like there's a little bit of interchangeability amongst the animals here. Um, for a seven-day period. All right, we're getting some language here. Okay. Skip that, Rashi. Bring an omer, the first of the harvest from the fields. That is the omer that you bring on the second day of Passover. Thus, one is permitted to proceed with the general harvest only after this omer has been reaped. Listen to this. You gotta bring an omer. And not every farm has to bring an omer. It's done on behalf of the entire Jewish people. But the omer has to be brought. Some offering, some designation from a field in Israel has to be brought to the temple, and that allows the harvest to commence. An omer is a tenth of an apha. That was the measure's name, like and they measured it with an omer. An omer is a measure. Wave she wave the omer. What does it mean to wave? Every mention of waving in Scripture denotes moving back and forth, up and down. It is moved back and forth to prevent evil winds an evil spirit, as it were. It has moved up and down to prevent evil dues. i.e. the do should be, should be a blessing for the crop, not a curse. Oh, no, evil winds means literally evil winds, it seems like. Evil winds and evil dues. Who would have thought that they're evil do's? Um, so that it will be acceptable for you. If you offer it up according to these instructions, it will be acceptable for you. On the day after the rest day, that refers to on the day after the first holy day of Passover, since the the holiday is also called Shabbat, a rest day in Scripture, as we saw before. For if you say that it means the Sabbath of creation, i.e. the actual Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, you you would not know which one, which Sunday should this be brought on. So therefore, it doesn't mean Sunday, the day after Shabbat, it means the day after day one of the festival. Okay, you shall offer up an unblemished lamb in the first year. This is an ob- ob- this comes as obligatory for the owner, not part of the additional offerings of Passover. It's meal offering. That's like the normal meal offering that accompanies the sacrifice. Two-tenths of an ephah of flour. It was double the usual meal offering for a lamb, which is one-tenth. It's double. A little bit more flour here. Libation. Quarter of a hint of wine, although its meal its meal offering is double. Its libations are not double, but the usual libation prescribed for a lamb. So the only thing that's the only ingredient, if you will, in this offering that is that is um, is uh, magnified is the flour offering. On Pesach you shall not eat bread or flour made from parched grain or fresh grain. This refers to flour made from tender, plump grain that is parched in an oven. In your dwelling places, the sages of Israel differ concerning this. Some learn from here that the prohibition of eating the new crop before the Omer, because you can't eat the new crop before you, you can't harvest new crop until you bring the Omer offering. Some say that applies even outside Israel, while others say that this phrase only comes to teach us that they were commanded regarding this new crop only after possession and settlement after they conquered an apportioned land. Let's continue. From the morrow of the rest day on the day after the first day of Passover. Seven weeks, this verse teaches us that one must begin counting each of these days from the evening after nightfall, because otherwise they would not be complete. You want to go 24-hour segments. In other words, you can't count the Omer and say today is day 25, right, if it's still like in the middle of the day. I mean, you can from the night before, but you can't for the next night because it's got to be a complete day before you begin counting the next day. Okay, the day after the seventh week. says, but not inclusive, making 49 days. You count 49 days and then day 50 is the next holiday. You shall count 50 days and bring a meal offering to the Lord, but we count, Rashi asked, but we count only 49 days. Therefore, the meaning is on the 50th day, you shall bring this meal offering of the new wheat crop. But if I say that this is a midrashic, but I say that this is a midrashic explanation of the verse. But it's simple meaning, I'm cutting up brackets, is until but not inclusive of the day after the completion of the seventh week, which is the 50th day, you shall count. Accordingly, this is a transposed verse. You just have to move some words around in the Hebrew so that it's more intelligible. A new meal offering. This is the first meal offering brought from the new crop. Now, if you ask, but but was not the meal offering of the Omer already offered up, as we said a few verses ago, the answer is... That it is not like other meal offerings, for it comes from barley. And hence, this meal offering is new, since it is the first meal offering from the wheat crop. The omer on Pass, I was waiting to say this before. The omer offering on Pesach is from barley. And on Shavuos, the, 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 the bread offering, the meal offering, is from the wheat. Not from barley, from wheat. You go from barley to wheat. From animal food to human food. That is the journey, and the spiritual journey, of Pesach to Shavuot. Okay, the first offering. The first of all, the meal offering is brought from the new crops. Even a jealousy meal offering for suspected infidelity, which comes from barley, may not be offered up from the new crop before the two loaves have been brought. So basically, You can start harvesting the crop and eating the food after Pesach, but you don't bring an offering in the temple from the new crop until after Shavuot, because Shavuot is the first time you bring from the new crop. Okay. Bring seven lambs. Sorry, seven, yeah, unblemished lambs, one bull, two rams, in addition to the bread, two loaves of bread. Um, yeah, we're going to skip that. You shall offer up one he goat. One might think that the seven lambs, preceding verse, and the he goat mentioned here are the same seven lambs, and the he goat enumerated in numbers. However, when you reach the enumeration there of the bulls and rams, the number of each, the numbers of each animal, they are not the same as those listed here. You must now conclude that these are separate, and those are separate. These are brought in conjunction with the bread, and those are additional offerings for the festival. So you have two, two reasons to bring offerings. Number one, because it's a holiday. That's discussed in Numbers. And number two, because of the Omer offering, or because of the new bread, not the Omer offering, because of the new bread, right? The, 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 the shteya lechem, the two loaves of bread that are brought on that day, and that's what's mentioned here in Leviticus. Okay. The Kohen waves them. This teaches us that they require waving while still alive. Now one might think that they, are, that they all require waving. Scripture therefore says, along with the two lambs. They shall be holy since a peace offering of an individual has, has itself a minor degree of holiness. Scripture has to say concerning communal peace offerings that they are holy of holies. Not just holy, but they're super holy. Now, verse 22. This will be the subject of tonight's class. But when you reap, suddenly out of nowhere we talk about agricultural laws. I know we were talking about the agricultural offerings on Shavuot, but this is now private farms, private uh, mitzvah of basically giving tzedakah. So, Rashi. But scripture has already stated this, when you reap its harvest, verse 10 above. Scripture repeats it once again, so that one who disobeys transgresses two negative commands. Rabbi Avdimi, the son of Rabbi Yosef says, why does scripture place this passage in the very middle of the laws regarding the festivals, this is the question that I asked, right? Scripture is putting this passage, this verse, this passage, right in the middle of the holiday conversation, with Passover and Ateret Shavuot on one side and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and, and Sukkot on the other side, to teach you. The reason is that whoever gives leket gleanings, shechah forgotten sheaves, and pay at the corners of the field, if you give that to the poor. To the poor in an appropriate manner, it is deemed as if he had built the holy temple and offered up his sacrifices within it. That's why it's the middle of the holiday conversation. Because if you give tzedakah, if you give charity, if you help the poor eat a meal, it's like you built a temple and it's like you offered the offerings, the holiday offerings on it. It's that level of of beauty and, and mitzvah that happens when we help out each other. We're going to expand on that tonight. You shall leave leave it before them and let them gather it up. Let the poor take it themselves and you shall not help one of them since this will deprive the others. If you start helping one, well then others are not going to have an equal shot. Let everyone take what they need. I am the Lord your God who is faithful to give, re- to give reward to those who fulfill my Torah. And in summation, just the thought that, that, that is sticking with me is this, well really two thoughts. Number one, what we just spoke about, the the power of giving and the power of seeing to it that if I have what I need, that I'm going to make sure that somebody else has what they need. I'm not only going to be satisfied with what I need and what I want. The moment I hit that, I, I could tell myself, we're good. Life is good. I have what I need. I think we're fine here. Jewish values, Torah values drives us or drive us to look toward the welfare and the well-being of the other. And I say to myself, I have this big field, lots of food in my field, okay? How can I help use this for someone else in need? How do I help, How do I help uh, someone in need? I heard along these lines, I'm going to tell you a great story. I just heard it over Pesach, over Passover, from my father-in-law. As um, Did you meet my father I don't think he was on any Zooms. All right, my father, Leah's dad, is a rabbi, Chabad rabbi, and a spiritual mentor, a spiritual um, uh, teacher in uh, Johannesburg, in South Africa. He teaches in the yeshiva, and he has other... So he lives in in the community, and he has a neighbor. His neighbor comes from a Chabad family, and he went into business. He was a rabbi, and he was serving as a rabbi in a synagogue, and then he decided that he's going to do some investing in real estate. So He tells me this story, unbelievable story. The very first deal, the very first deal that he got, this young man who was a Chabad rabbi, he was working like youth, running youth programs in a synagogue, he decides he wants to go into real estate. His first project, he buys a building, gets investors, buys a building, and it's a rental. Okay, He's making income. He gives the building to two Jewish organizations, two Chabad organizations, essentially, all the he still owns the building, but all the profit that's generated from this building is going to go straight to charity, straight to the, to support these two these two organizations. That was his first venture, and he did it intentionally so that his first business deal should not be about himself, but should be about supporting supporting Torah, supporting uh, Jewish institutions in in Johannesburg, in South Africa. That was his first deal, and from that, obviously. You know he is continuing to give tzedakah from his other his other income. He's giving charity from his other his other um, uh, his other successes in business. But it was a statement. My father said it was like he wanted you know a, a blessing for his business, and he wanted to you know start off on the right foot. First deal is not for him. First deal is for God, right? First deal is for God's peoples, for the you know for for the Jewish people, for Judaism, for Torah and Mitzvot and Chabad. That was the first deal. After that. He'll take for himself also, but I think it's a powerful perspective, right? I have a field. What's the perspective? It's mine. I'm not going to give anything away. Or, yes, it's my field. Not suggesting that everyone give away everything they have, right? And I don't. But it's my maybe the first the first property, sure. But you know, make sure you have somewhere to live also. The point is that you have a field. First thought is okay. How how does this benefit someone else? How do I how do I think about someone else? How am I, you know blessing others with my blessings. It's a powerful perspective. Leket, Shechah, and Peah. The three parts of the field that we leave to those that are less fortunate, at least monetarily, than us. Those that are in need of food. Those that are going hungry can come and eat from our fields. That is Jewish values. That is the Torah perspective on field ownership. What do you mean? It's my field. Can I do whatever I want with it? Sure, you can. Absolutely. But you know what? You're in God's world. Ultimately, we're all tenants. Ultimately, we're all temporary residents on this beautiful earth of God's. And so, if not not in the form of a threat, but like if we, we want God to bless us with space and with resources and with wealth and with whatever we need, we want that blessing. Makes sense to take care of God's children as we ask for God to take care of us. All right, thank you for joining. And the other point I was going to say is Shabbat. What a beautiful day to have every week, uh, a a mini sabbatical. All right, thank you for joining today. Any questions, comments? Yeah, Joy. And to remind us that God gave us manna in the desert. Yes. Yes. God fed us. It's like, I'm tempted. I don't want, like, I hate pulling, like, the, the dad card or the parent card, but sometimes the kids are, like, they're hesitant to share or something, and I'm like, Hello. How do you think you got that? <laughs> like, you're not going to share. How do you think you got that? Seriously. It's like, I don't know, whatever, whatever example you can conjure up, whether it's food or stuff or whatever it is, it's like one kid's a little hesitant. I'm like, do me a favor. Like, it's, please share that. It's, uh, but that's all God. Can you imagine God's perspective? It's like a bunch of people grabbing things, and God's like, Literally, you're grabbing stuff away from someone else. <laughs> don't you know what's going on here? It's like um, it doesn't make any sense. How do you think you got? You think it's yours? How did you get it? All right? I'm giving it to you. All right. Well, a part of that, part of that contract, part of that covenant is you share a little bit with those that don't have. It seems fair. It seems fair. It's a little a little piece, little piece of the pie. It's not, not, not outlandish. But I was just impressed with this guy who's going into business and his first deal, he's not going to make any profit. He's gonna, all the profit is for Tzedakah. I mean, subsequently, he's made a ton of deals and he's made a ton of money. But I, I thought it's... And he's given a lot, given a ton of money to Tzedakah. But I thought it's so beautiful that like deal one, it's not about him. It's like starting off on the right foot with the right perspective. It's very special. All right, thanks for joining Sarah, and Joy, It's great to see you. Don't forget, tomorrow at noon, no DPP, we're back Friday to, to close out the Torah portion of Emra. We'll get to Sukkot and wrap the conversation about the holidays. Alright, have a wonderful day and tonight, 7.30pm, Torah Studies, we'll talk more about that verse about the agricultural gifts. Alright, see y'all hopefully later and or the next few days. Alright, take care. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at InTownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at Intown Jewish Academy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening